Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Okay, so uh, Laodicea. <laughs> oh, this will just bless you, bless you, bless you. Sometimes, you know, um, you get into these messages and, and you're thinking, oh, there's not much positive in this. <laughs> there doesn't, you know, this is the one church, and actually Sardis is, I think, in this category as well, but this is really the one church that no... Uh, commendation is given to this, to this body of believers. And that's kind of hard. And when you add to that, that we're probably in the Laodicean age, that becomes very interesting as well. Uh, because there's all kinds of different applications out of this. We need to be very careful in our own lives to be looking at this and, and uh, to really ask the hard questions. Uh, this is the church if you want to think of it in an overall sense, of self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. They did not think they needed the Lord. Now, there's all kinds of uh, differences of thought in terms of whether these people were believers. I'm not saying that there weren't people in the church that didn't know the Lord. But what we are saying, I believe, is that the Lord is writing to his church and warning his church. That means... They are his people. They are believers. Their eternal life was secure in Christ. Remember in 1 Corinthians 3 where he says the work is going to be tested, and if it's all burned up, what remains? The foundation remains, right? And the foundation is Jesus Christ. See, when we come to Christ, when we're converted to Christ, at that moment, eternal life is ours, and it's not based on works prior to or after. It's based on God's grace, period. As believers, we're now invited into a walk with him where we should be growing. We should be participating with him. There are times clearly when believers get off track. Anybody agree with me on that? (laughs) What we have is a church that in effect needed to be reminded to walk by faith to get into the word of God and ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom as to the meaning of the word of God and how to apply the word of God to their lives. It was a church that literally, the picture is given, had shut the Lord outside of their fellowship. And we see this picture of the Lord knocking at the door in order to be invited in. Again, we're not talking about eternal life. And I'll get to that because I think there's one particular verse that really clearly makes it apparent that these people were his, the Lord's. But in the midst of that, how often do we begin to walk in a way where we think we're sufficient, where we don't need the Lord? Or if you want to get really complex and philosophical, and I'll try to make it simple, we become deists. God saved us and gave us a bunch of rules and regulations to do and steps back and watches to see whether we do them. That's not Christianity, folks. God saves us and he comes to live within us in order to accomplish through us something that we cannot do on our own. There's never a moment where we don't need the Lord. There's never a moment where the Lord thinks about us that we could do something for him. 
I like what Richard Ross said a few weeks ago in our uh, parent meeting after the service. He said, the idea that we can do something for God is never even found in Scripture. It's always that God does something through us. Think about that. That's absolutely correct. The church of self-sufficiency, the church that thought that they were rich, the church that thought they had everything they needed, that they were doing great, that they were perfectly fine, and had literally shut the Lord out, and the Lord's knocking at the door, saying, if you let me in, I'll come in and have fellowship with you. (laughs) Oh, boy, don't we want to guard against that, folks? I don't know about you, but we want a place that is vibrant and filled with the Holy Spirit with joy and love and God's grace and forgiveness and patience and all the the characteristics that express the Lord at work in us and through us. We want to see a concern for the lost. We want to see all those things taking place. All of it is a personal relationship with him first and foremost it's a corporate relationship with him through his word and in the midst of it there is an absolute recognition that we are utterly reliant upon the Lord for everything for everything well let me just run this through with you the first four first few churches that we've looked at six of them Ephesus they were doing good things, but they had left their first love, right? They had, they had gotten caught up in all this works, and then they had left their first love. Or Smyrna, they were being faithful and were encouraged to continue to be faithful in spite of the persecution they were uh, undergoing. Pergamum, unfortunately, they were allowing false teaching. Balaam and the Nicolaitans were commanded to repent of this. Make sure the word of God is central Make sure the word of God and the true teaching of the word of God and the doctrine, the teaching of God's word is pure. With Thyatira, they were told to repent of the false teachings of Jezebel, this false religious system that had been allowed to be fostered within the body of Christ. Or Sardis, where they had an ineffective faith. They were dead. They had a reputation that they were alive, but they were really dead, not speaking again of eternal life, but rather that they had an ineffectual faith. They were saved, but they weren't walking as believers ought to walk, should walk. Or Philadelphia, I love this church, even though I don't like the Eagles. An open door of service, a little power. Somebody came up to me after the service and said, the Eagles, and I said, absolutely, you're right, I don't, amen. (laughs) An open door of service. They had a little power, meaning ability. Why? Because they had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They trusted him. They walked with him. And as a result, the Lord opened a door for service for them so that they could experience him even more and they could be utilized by the Lord in the midst of what he had called them to. And then we get to Laodicea. Laodicea. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. I'm just going to walk through this point to point, okay? Revelation 3.14 says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this. Wow. What an introduction of who the Lord is to this body of believers. He says, he's the amen. Right? He's the sovereign one. You know, we, we say amen, let it be. Well, Jesus is the Amen. Because he alone has the power and the authority to make it be. And when you begin to think about that, you begin to reflect on that. What in our lives is the Lord not sovereign over? What in our lives caught him by surprise? Nothing. He's the amen. 
but he's also the faithful and true witness. He testifies to those things which are true. When he says something, it is absolute. It is accurate. When he says that you need me or when he rebukes or when he tells people to repent or when he commends them, he is accurate in his assessment and he's absolutely true in what he has to say. You can bank on it. He sees clearly. He knows all things. He also says the beginning of the creation of God. That word for beginning doesn't mean that he is a created being. It means he's the one who began creation. He's the originator of it. He's the start of it. He's the one who caused all things to be created, which means he's sovereign over it, he's Lord over it, and he is in charge of all things. Unfortunately, there's no affirmation and or commendation of the Laodicean believers. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Does the Lord seek to commend? I believe he does. Does the Lord look for those who are willing to follow after him with a whole heart so that he can acknowledge so that he can commend, so that he can encourage? Yeah, I believe he does. When we say there's no commendation to this church, that is a sorry state of affairs. Think about that. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know how that hits you this morning, but I can tell you this. I believe as a church body we want to be following the Lord with all of our heart. One of the things that I think will become clear from this particular church, this particular age, or this description of a church is, number one, that they absolutely did not depend upon the Lord. They were not walking by faith. They were not in the word of God. They thought they were self-sufficient. They didn't need the Lord to do the things that the Lord had commanded them to do. But as a result of that, they were utterly useless in the kingdom. Think about that. I don't know about you. I, boy, that makes me cringe. It makes me kind of look at my life and go, Lord, what am I living for? Do I think that I can fix this? Do I think I can accomplish this? Do I need you? And Lord, is that really evidenced by how much time I spend in prayer? Is that really evidenced by how I'm willing to come before you and acknowledge who you are? Is it really evidenced by how much time I spend in your word? Is it really evidenced by how much I spend with God's people? Where, where's the evidence of the reality that I need Christ? What is it that God's doing in my life and leading me in, in order to be revealed in and through me? There's no commendation here. What we're talking about is a completely carnal, fleshly group of people that were utterly useless to the Lord. Oh. Well, the Lord, obviously, as a result of this, severely rebukes them. In verses 15 and 16, he says, I know your deeds. I know what you're doing. That you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. 
So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. See the uselessness? Some people want to take the cold and hot and kind of compare. Well, I wish you were cold, meaning, man, at least you acknowledge your deadness. And I don't believe that's at all what, what's being reflected here. In Laodicea, there was a need for water, and, and so they created this aqueduct system where they were able to pipe in water from the two nearby cities. They got hot water from Heropolis, and they got cold water from Colossae. So catch that, right? Colossae, cold. C-C, you got that. Heropolis, hot. H-H, it's easy to remember. (laughs) Well, it's piped in. Now let me ask you something. When you're really hot, when you have worked out hard, which some of us do more than others, acknowledge that. (laughs) I'm adding myself into this, right? When you need something to quench your thirst, because you've worked or you've done something, you, 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 don't, you want cold water, don't you? Isn't that what you want? I mean, cold water has a use to it. Cold water is useful. When I work out or I do something that where I begin to exert a lot of energy, man, I, I don't want something that's kind of tepid. I want something cold. Ice. Uh, conversely, if I'm cold, wintertime, and I go outside, and all of a sudden that wind hits, right, that Albuquerque 70-mile-an-hour gust of wind, and it goes right through you, and you feel like you're going to get carried off like that little kid that hit the screen, and whoom, off he went. Did you see that? That was unbelievable. I don't get on Facebook much, but that was pretty funny. The kid was okay. The kid was okay. But when you get outside and you suddenly find your body temperature going down and you're cold. What do you want, cold water? No, you want something hot because it's useful. It's got a purpose to it. So cold has a purpose to it. Hot has a purpose to it. And they would get their cold water from Colossae and they would get their hot water from Heropolis. And by the time it got to Laodicea, guess what? It was tepid. It was lukewarm. And people who weren't from that area would begin to drink the water, and guess what they would do? They'd spit it out. They'd be like, what is this junk? The other thing that would happen is as it was piped in through these aqueducts, it would pick up all kinds of uh, floaties. (laughs) Have you ever had that? You ever start drinking something and suddenly there's something in it that you know wasn't supposed to be there? So you got lukewarm with floaties. Oh, really? That's the picture the Lord's giving. And they understood this because they lived in the city. They understood this. They knew this. They recognized this. And the Lord says, because you're lukewarm... You're not useful. You're neither hot nor cold. I will spit you out of my mouth. The conformity to the world, their lack of faith, had left this body of believers doing things out of a pragmatic, culturally acceptable, and humanistic way. 
They, they didn't approach spiritual things with a spiritual perspective. They didn't approach the things of God with a godly perspective. They weren't following God with the power of his spirit working in and through them in order to accomplish the things that only God can accomplish and to experience God in the midst of it. They were looking at things from a humanistic, pragmatic perspective. They thought they could take care of it. Oh, anybody had that thought? I've had that thought, folks. If you're telling me you haven't had that thought, I'm not sure what to do. We're Americans. We could do it. We've been taught that. We've been taught if we just work hard enough, if we just get the right education, if we just get the right connections, if we just get whatever, and you can fill in the blank, we can do it. Now, baby bathwater, we don't want to throw away work and effort and education and all that kind of stuff. But what we do want to say and acknowledge is that with the things of God, we need God. We need God. We cannot do this on our own. We can't just look at problems and try to fix them out of our own intelligence, out of our own thinking, out of our own experience, whatever that may be, and no matter how glorious that may be, we need the Lord. That's the point. It's clear that there is no faith, that there was a walking or a doing by sight there was no persuasion that God was necessary in the midst of these things. There was a pragmatic fix-it, rely on oneself because of what we see and we know we can do kind of mentality. Boy, folks, we need the Lord, don't we? And I, I'll tell you this, this is not just a wrong thinking. I mean, it is a wrong thinking, but it's not just a wrong thinking. Let's call it for what it is. It's called sin. And what's the middle letter of sin? I. What's the middle letter of pride? I. See, when we start lifting ourselves up and we start acting like we can do something, then what it is is we're just completely and absolutely focused on ourselves. We're completely and absolutely dependent upon what we can do, what we think we can do, whether it's our intelligence, whether it's our training, whether it's our education, whether it's our experience, doesn't matter. All of a sudden, we become the center of everything and we begin to steal from the glory of God as if somehow that could be stolen and we begin to take credit for things that the Lord alone is capable of accomplishing and the Lord who is the amen, who's the faithful and true witness, who understands these things and is able to see through all the motivations that we may put before him. He knows that we are dependent upon ourselves and not him. And he comes alongside of this particular church in order to correct them, to rebuke them, to encourage them, to admonish them that this is not the way to go. In verses 17 through 18 in Revelation 3, he goes on, he says, Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich 
and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Wow. This was a large banking area, Laodicea. They were very rich. In fact, their city had been destroyed by an earthquake and guess what? They didn't need any help from Rome in order to fix it. They didn't need any money. So we got this. We'll rebuild our city without your money. Self-sufficient. They were known for their black wool. They had a tremendously productive business where they were selling black wool. They had a harbor there where all the different uh, ships would come in for trade. I mean, they were immensely wealthy. They were also known for their medical ability. They had ISAV that was world-renowned. People would come all over, from all over the known world in order to come to this place, in order to get the ISAV, in order to help correct their eyesight. And yet, with that, the Lord lists five things. My goodness, what a list. They're wretched. Wretched. It literally has the idea of being miserable. Miserable. As if we didn't get the first one. But this idea has the idea of mercy. One who's deserving of mercy. One who is in need of mercy. One who needs help. They're wretched. They don't realize how poor and destitute they are. They are in need of mercy. They are in need of being rescued. And alone, the Lord alone can do this, obviously. But they are poor, meaning they are utterly helpless. And the picture is of a beggar who's crouching, begging. They're blind. They're not able to see clearly. They're naked, which means naked. They thought they were clothed. They had all this wealth, they had all this black wool, they had all, these clo- all this clothing. But the Lord recognizes, no, what a sad statement. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. Well, <laughs> praise God there's hope. Praise God there's hope. Because you never leave God out of things. You never leave God out of things. Because God is interjecting himself into this. God is coming to them. God is warning them. These are his people. And he recognizes they need him. They have this thought pattern about themselves, but the truth of the matter is they need him. And so the alternative given to these spiritually proud believers is in effect to buy three things. And he's not, buy, he's not telling them, buy this so that you can have eternal life. What he's doing is he's using their framework of understanding in order to encourage them to come to him, to get from him what they need. Gold. He says, buy from me gold, right? Refined by fire so that you may become rich. And what is he talking about? He's not talking about physical. He's not talking about material wealth. He's talking about spiritual wealth. And ultimately what he's talking about here is faith. You need to be persuaded that I am able to do these things in your life, that you're not able to fix these things, that without me there is really nothing that you can do. Therefore, you need to come to me and you need to be persuaded that you're in need of me. Faith. 
that has been tested and stands the test of time that is precious, that is like gold. Or white clothing. They thought they had beautiful garments and yet they were spiritually without anything on. They thought that they had a lot physically, but the Lord spiritually is telling them you need white clothing. And the picture here is you need to begin to walk in service to me. You need to begin to walk with me in the deeds that I have for you to walk in, to do. Because you're not doing the things that you ought to be doing. Or I salve because they were blind. They thought they had the ability to see, but the Lord says you're, you're not able to see. And so what he's saying is that you need the word of God. You need insight from the Holy Spirit as to the meaning and application of the word of God into your lives. You, you need to pray and ask the Lord to do something that you on your own, no matter how intelligent you are, no matter how many degrees you've got, no matter how studied you are, could never figure out apart from the Holy Spirit making known. You need your eyes to be healed so that you can spiritually have insight into my ways, into me. Wow. Walvard says this, the Laodiceans are typical of the modern world which revels in that which the natural eye can see but is untouched by the gospel and does not see beyond the veil of the material to the unseen and real eternal spiritual riches. Love that. It's a wonderful quote. We are inundated in a time where imagery is everything. Right? Imagery is everything. The way it looks. <laughs> That's how we judge everything. Is it worthwhile? Well, look at this. We get all these images flashing before us. Right? We have commercial after commercial after commercial. We get on our phones and we're inundated with imagery. But there's something greater beyond what we can see. There's something greater beyond what the physical will ever reveal to us, and that's the spiritual riches. That's the things of Christ. That's the things of God. And we've got to be careful as individuals, as a church body, as families, we've got to be careful to allow this way of the world to impact us so much so that we begin to believe the lie that somehow what we see is actually more important than what we don't see. And we need the Lord's insight. We need the Lord's wisdom. We need the Lord's correction and admonishment. We need the Lord's help to begin to see the spiritual riches and go beyond the physical riches. Well, in verse 19, and this is one of the reasons I absolutely believe these are believers, though they are carnal and though they are certainly not walking as they should. Revelation 3.19 says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Catch that? Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. There's hope. Christ is a part 
of these people's lives. He may have been diminished to the point where literally, as we're going to look at, he's knocking at the door to come in and fellowship with them. They thought that they had everything they needed. They thought they were completely adequate in and of themselves. They had money. They had wealth. They had all this stuff. But in the midst of this, the Lord's reminding them that they are in need of him. And he says, I love you. Therefore, I am reproving and disciplining you. And if you don't get this right, I'm going to do it even more. And he says to them, be zealous and repent because I love you, because I discipline those whom I love. Be zealous, take this seriously, and change your mind about the way that you're living versus the way that you should be living. In verses 20 through 21, the Lord gives this tremendous statement. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. I stand at the door and knock. Wow. Now, this has been used evangelistically in many, many different ways, and I don't fault that, don't even necessarily agree with that. We know that unbelievers need to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know that that takes place by faith. But this particular context, he's speaking to the church. He's writing to the church. He's telling them that I love you, that I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And then he gives this hope if you open the door. I'm going to come in and fellowship with you. Now think about that. How often have we learned to depend upon our own thinking, our own ways? And we can put it into all kinds of contexts. Our programs, our experiences, our past, whatever. And in the midst of that, we have neglected the reality that we cannot do one thing apart from Christ. That we need him. That we're utterly dependent upon him. And as a result, I don't know that we intentionally or purposefully do this, but we begin to tell the Lord later. We begin to say to the Lord, well, that's great. That sounds good. Let me think about this. Or we begin to say, well, I don't know that I need to be as urgent in my prayer life. Or I've already taken that Bible study. And as a result, I don't know that I really need to do that because I don't know that I'm going to learn anything new. We come up with all kinds of things. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves more and more out of God's will for our lives, depending upon our own thinking, depending on evaluations that are based on what we can see and how we think, and then we begin to try to fix things on that basis as well. And the Lord is simply saying to them, I love you because I love those whom I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, repent, and oh, by the way, Here's good news for believers. If you've gotten to that point, boy, open the door of the church back up and let me in. And guess what? I'm going to come in and I'm going to fellowship with you and dine with you. What a beautiful picture of God's grace and his mercy and his sufficiency and his love for his people. I like how the Grace New Testament commentary puts it. He says, Christ's invitation here is not for lost sinners to believe in him for the free gift of eternal life, but for his disobedient children to get close to him once again. Man, that's awesome. I think that's absolutely right on. 
This is a fellowship issue, not an eternal life issue. Folks, where are you in your walk with the Lord? How do you view this? How do you, how do you think about church? How do you think about all these things? When you have problems or circumstances that come at you, what's your response? What's your reaction? Have we become hardened of heart? Have we, be, have we drifted to the point where we're no longer immediately running to the Lord in prayer and seeking his will on these things? Are we, are we spending time with the Lord and his word? Are we reflecting on the Lord? Is everything about our lives ultimately given over to Christ first and foremost? I mean, is that our pattern? Or when we see things taking place, whether it's personally in our own lives, maybe it's in our families, maybe it's in the church family, we immediately begin to say, okay, well, here's great ideas of how we're going to fix this. And what we do to spiritualize it is we say, well, Lord, would you bless this? (laughs) Instead of, Lord, what do you want? Lord, you've revealed something here. You've lifted something up. You've raised a flag. And, And the invitation and the reason the Lord does that is not for us to go fix it, but rather for us to go to the Lord and ask him what he wants to do because he already has a plan of how to deal with whatever it may be. Ah, faith, persuasion, the willingness to say that we believe in the Lord no matter what we see, no matter what we understand in and of our own selves, of what God can do, not what we can do. Well, he concludes, he was in ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are we listening? Because it doesn't matter what church that we're talking about, every church in every age could take on characteristics from any one of these fellowships. We can leave our first love, right? We we can have an ineffectual faith. We can allow false teaching to come in. We can become self-sufficient where we think we have the answers. We know how to fix the spiritual problems that ultimately only the Lord knows how how to deal with. Do we believe in some way, shape, or form that we're able and or successful when in reality we've actually neglected the Lord? See, my prayer is that every council Every ministry at this church, every leader or somebody who has the role of leadership because we know there's one leader and we're not it, everybody, the body engaged is prayerfully seeking, Lord, what is your will? Lord, would you make yourself known in my life, through my life? Lord, would you lead and would you guide? Would you direct? Would you work? We want to follow you in everything. When there's an issue that comes up, whatever it may be, the immediate response is, Lord, you're sovereign over that. You knew this was going to happen. Lord, how are we following you in this? Lord, what do you want? Now, I get it. If the pipe's pipe's broken, I think the Lord's will is fix the pipe. Right? I mean, I don't think... (laughs) If one, one of the pipes break, that we sit back and go, oh, we need to have a prayer meeting. Let's see. That's, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is souls. We're talking about people's lives. We're talking about how do we begin to be used of the Lord to minister to one another as well as to the community around us. Lord, here we are. 
I'm not sure how to witness to this person. I don't know what you're doing in their lives, but Lord, you've brought me to this place where clearly they're on my mind. So Lord, would you be in me what I'm not? Would you give me wisdom? Even give me the words to say, bring to my mind the verses or the experiences that you want me to have to share with this individual about your faithfulness, your goodness, your salvation, your grace. Or with one another. Lord, here we are. We want to serve one another. We want to put the interests of, of each one over our own. So Lord, would you give us the wisdom and the strength to know how to do that? Would you be in us what we're not in and of our own selves? See, that's, that's the issue. Oh, the vibrancy in that, folks. Because the life of Christ is amazing. And when you begin to experience the life of Christ, not only in your own life, but also through your life towards other people, all of a sudden, it's so true of that song, the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious face. I'll close with this statement. Somebody sent me an email a couple weeks ago from Breakpoint. And I read through this, and as soon as I read this, I thought, oh, this is the Laodicean church, clearly. Think about this. The goal of the church cannot be to out-entertain the world. First, we can't. <laughs> In a world of instant gratification, 24-7 communication access, and virtually limitless glowing rectangles, Clamoring for our attention, the church just can't win the entertainment battle. Anybody say amen to that? Come on. I mean, why are we even trying to do that? And that's what he goes on to say. Second, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be tried. That's not what church is about, nor is it what people need. Gathering for worship, though it can be exhilarating, or on some days, God forbid, boring, it's not about entertainment because it's not about us. It's about meeting with God as a community of his people, giving him his due and being instructed, admonished, equipped, and encouraged by him to join in his work. As Chuck Colson used to say, to make the invisible kingdom visible. Amen. <laughs> people have asked me many, many times and had to think and pray through this. Elders, we've had to think and pray through it. What, what are we talking about with this church? What is it about Hoffmantown? You know, I think it's pretty simple. We want you to grow in Christ to the point where you're able to invest in the life of another and help them grow in Christ. That's it. You need to think about everything we do and all the stuff. We want you to grow in Christ. We want you to meet with the Lord. We want you to experience God. We want you to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and understand who you are in him, your identity in Christ, and then what it means to walk with him, to follow him by faith and trust him, and then to walk in the great commission, which is to make disciples. And whose life, Lord, would you have me pour into so that they in turn can either come to know you and be saved or grow in their understanding of what your salvation for them has been all about? That's the question. In the midst of that, folks, we need the Lord, don't we? We are in one kind of a cultural fiasco right now, aren't we? That's an understatement of the century. It's indescribable when we look around and see all the things that are going on. The lies and the falseness 
How as the people of God can we walk in such a way where the light of the glory of Christ is revealed through us so that this world who is starved and so many who are hurting, who have no hope, begin to see in us Christ himself. And when they come to us and they begin to ask us about the hope that we have, we don't say, oh, (laughs) let me tell you all about what I've done for God. We're able to say, oh, let me tell you about my great Lord and what he's done for me and what he's done for you. That's the issue. Are we dependent upon the Lord? Are we walking with the Lord? Are we trusting the Lord? Are we walking by faith? Are we in prayer? Are we in his word? Are we asking him to do a work in our lives and then reveal himself through our lives in the midst of of the time that we're in. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 